Welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I am Jens Nelson. I am Lucas Stock. And this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Thank you for joining us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life as we strive for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. So I guess, as you can probably already tell from our title, we have a, a special guest here today. We have uh, an interview that has been in the works for a little while here, and we're, we're super excited to uh, bring it to you. So Lucas, why don't you take it away and introduce our guest? Yeah, we're super excited and grateful to welcome Dr. Brandon Smith to uh, talk with us today about um, a couple different things. Uh, Dr. Smith hosts the Church Grammar Podcast. He is a professor of theology, I believe, at Cedarville University, uh, and also one of the directors at the Center for Baptist Renewal. Um, I'm not sure if I've missed anything else important, but you can catch him on on Twitter as well as uh, both the, his Church Grammar podcast and the Center for Baptist Renewal podcast sometimes as well. So that is, uh, I th like I said, I think I hit all the all the big highlights, but I'm sure we'll get into some more specifics. So welcome to Doxology and thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. Thanks guys. Um, I do have a question up front though. I want to make sure that I know kind of where I'm at here. Yeah. Uh, follow you guys on Twitter. Jens, you are a Baptist, correct? Correct. Still staying Still. with us. Yep. <laughs> Lucas, you are for formerly a Baptist, but now an Anglican. Yeah. I, I, uh, I was raised Baptist and been an Anglican for a few years. Okay. So you're the first John 219. You went out from us because you were not one of us, right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So when I'm talking to I was just elect instead. I, yeah, I'm just gonna talk to Jens the whole time then. Okay, that's cool. perfect. So make sure we're clear there. <laughs> um, so to to start, we've we've uh ahead of time made sure that uh we weren't gonna blindside you with a bunch of questions. So we sent you the document, but we decided to blindside you with some rapid fire questions to begin anyway, because we thought that would be awesome. more fun. So this okay. is kind of like off the cuff, uh, you know, don't think too hard about it. Just a few of these to start off. Um, okay. If you could meet one person from church history outside of the New Testament, who would it be and why? Uh, Athanasius or Athanasius, if you'd like to sound more uh, fancy. Um, I'm starting to find that Athanasius is, is uh, looked down upon. Uh, the, the saying it that way is looked down upon. Uh, but Athanasius, <laughs> yeah, I mean... Uh, great theologian. I mean, not only just his his theology, but um, you know, he kind of gets painted as the one who attacks everybody. You know, Athanasius contra mundum, but actually, he's the one who ends up kind of bringing together all the traditions in the early church. And so, mm. as a guy who cares about Catholicity and ecumenical conversation, uh, he's to me one of the exemplars. So, is that too long of an answer? We're we going for no, rapid fire. No, that's okay. great. No, that's great, and a, yeah. and a great choice, if I do say so, since I have the mic. Um, what is your favorite sport and favorite team associated with that sport? Oh, um, so growing up, my favorite sport was football, but you find once you uh, aren't in high school anymore, that football is not like the thing you can just go pick up and play with people, especially not tackle football. Uh, so uh, basketball has become more and more of a love of mine, something I like to just play around with, you know, play, play, you know, at the park or whatever, but uh, the NBA is probably what I pay most attention to now. So uh, Dallas Mavericks are my team, all the, uh, Dallas sports team. So I'm really, I'm pretty equally avid Cowboys and Mavericks fan probably, but, um, Luka Doncic gives me more to root for right now than the Cowboys do. So, so I'm a little more NBA heavy right now. Nice. Um, ideal vacation destination. Mm. 
so my family and I play, uh, we always play this game at dinner uh, where we try to, we just ask each other random questions like this. So I was actually asked this by my seven-year-old recently. Uh, not to demean your question, but this is a good question that my seven-year-old asked me. Faith like a child. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so I answered to her, at least, that I would love to go to Rome. Uh, you know, it's near water. It's good climate. Obviously, you've got all the church history there, and you've got the Vatican and all kinds of different things. Uh, the food is apparently amazing. So mm. I'm not really a beach guy. I'm more of a mountains or nice weather, go somewhere just to eat and check stuff out. Uh, so that's my current answer. Nice. Uh, and favorite book of the Bible. Hmm. Well, I, I'm thinking I'm supposed to say revelation cause that's what I did my uh, PhD <laughs> on, but, uh, you find that the longer you, uh, when you do a dissertation work on a book, sometimes that's your least favorite for a little while. So, uh, I'm taking a break from revelation, uh, as much as a Christian can without losing their faith. And, uh, I think right now, probably Hebrews is mm -hmm. my favorite. Um, there's just a lot to, to work out in mind there. And some of my, uh, you know, closer academic friends particularly are all Hebrew scholars. So I just kind of try to pretend like I belong there. So nice. And then finally, just to stir the pot a little bit, um, Matt Emerson or Luke stamps. Mm. I mean, you, you can't choose between them. They're, they are one entity. <laughs> they are oh, homo homoousios homo and also two hypostasis. I mean, it's just, <laughs> that's you fair. can't choose between the two. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny because Matt and I are the same person. So we both get along really well and also fight the most. Um, Luke is like the dad who tries to keep us all in check. But I also have the thing with Luke and we joke about this all the time that Luke is like my father. I'm always trying to please, you know, so I'm always when Luke, like when Luke approves of something I say or do, I'm like, okay, I really, I really nailed it this time, you know? So, so it's love in two different ways, I would say. So nice. solid, you knew I couldn't choose. You knew that was going to happen. Yeah, we knew. Of course. <laughs> Well, uh, Brandon, so actually we'll, we'll jump into the, the interview here officially. Um, those were our, our fun little rapid fire questions. But um, as we mentioned in the beginning, uh, we said that you, you, ho you host the, the Church Grammar podcast. Uh, I was actually first, I think, introduced to you on a different podcast, which was the, the Word Matters. Is that what it was mm -hmm. called back in the day? Mm -hmm. um, another great podcast. Um, so if you're looking, listeners, if you're looking for a place to, to check out some of Brandon's work, um, those are two places you could you could go. Uh, but uh, for the focus of our, of our interview today, we're, we're really wanting to highlight this idea of retrieval, um, which I think most of our at least frequent listeners know is something that we're really big on. And so we thought it'd be cool to bring someone in who not only cares about retrieval, but is actively doing work in that field, so to speak. So uh, another work of yours, I mean, I know it wasn't just you, there's probably dozens of people that go into something like this, but the, the ancient faith study Bible, we know that you had mm -hmm. your hand in, um, along with, as we said, the Center for Baptist Renewal, um, just to name a couple of places. Is there anything else that you do that is specifically tied to the idea of retrieval for renewal? Well, there are some things coming. Um, okay. So like my dissertation, for example, was a Trinitarian reading of Revelation. And basically what I'm doing there is retrieving pro-Nicene, uh, you know, Trinitarian tools to read Revelation. So um, that's going to be published uh, eventually and a few other things down the road. So yeah, it's, you're probably right about kind of what we do at Center for Baptist Renewal and the Ancient Faith are the two that I've probably spent the most time with. Uh, Matt and Luke and I, it's not really a secret at this point, um, uh, are doing a Baptist book of prayer. Uh, so that we can, the Baptists will finally stop buying Lucas's uh, Anglican <laughs> Book of Common Prayer. And uh, ACA Baptist... needs some needs some funds though. So <laughs> that's a fair point. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that that's one thing that we were looking at. That's that's more church related in terms of having creeds in there and readings and that kind of thing. 
Um, so some of the liturgical type retrieval as well. So yeah, a little bit of all that, but that's mostly all coming down the road. So, uh, I usually just say stuff in my podcast or write blogs. That's, uh, that's basically where it's at. So very cool. Well, I guess, so in, in your own words, what is retrieval? So we, we, we mentioned it a lot, we've defined it in a couple of ways, but how do you define that word and, and what is the purpose of retrieval? I mean, I, it is notoriously hard to define, um, you really, if you Google, you know, the definition for retrieval, you, you might find a lot of different answers. I generally say retrieval is something like um, reaching back into church history for a particular theological or methodological tool that might help you, that might be applied in the present in a way that would be helpful. Um, so retrieval for uh, Baptists and Catholics or, Protest or uh, Presbyterians or Anglicans might look different. Because, uh, you know, I think, for example, for Baptists, you know, when we're doing retrieval um, in Baptist circles that I've been in and that you guys uh, have surely been in, there is a lot of disconnect from the great tradition, right, uh, in terms of some of the theology, some of the methodology of how we do theology. Um, and we can talk about that more uh, if you guys would like. But Baptists are, are doing different type of retrieval, I think, than, say, a Catholic would be doing. Because for the church fathers, for example, if you're a Catholic or an Orthodox person, Eastern Orthodox person, um, you're in some ways more tied to the tradition more directly than the Baptist is. So we might all be going back to Gregory for Trinitarian stuff, but we might have different ways that we're doing it, or we might have different presuppositions about what that looks like to actually do retrieval there. So I think retrieval is generally reaching back into church history for theological conclusions or methodology that will be up, that can be applied today. But also I think it depends on who's the person doing it, who's the tradition, you know, that kind of stuff. So I think it can get uh, that, that definition can start expanding pretty quickly. Um, and I think that there's probably a positive and a negative connotation to retrieval. Uh, the negative would be, hey, my church tradition is not doing this very well. Let's look through church history to find better tools. Uh, positive would be, hey, we all agree on the Trinity, but Athanasius does a really good job talking about the Trinity, right? Or, uh, you know, Gregory does a really good job. So that can bolster and encourage and supplement what I already confess, right? So I think it can go both ways. Uh, in terms of positive and negative, and then who's actually doing the retrieving. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah I think that's really helpful. Um, and I think it, with respect to, to uh, questions of Catholicity and ecumenical uh, concerns and the kinds of things that we've talked about with the Center for Baptist Renewal doing and, and, and things like that, um, the, the different approaches that different people are going to take, I think, is an is a important not caveat, but just something to keep in mind um, mm -hmm. as, especially as Protestants interacting with other kinds of Protestants where we have different levels of, of connection to that tradition. And, and sort of along a, a similar line, just thinking about the, the Protestant, especially evangelical landscape in America. Um, I, I feel like something I've heard a lot about and is more or less confirmed by my own life experiences and, and those of my friends around me um, is this idea of, of a, a, the last maybe, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years, this growing trend of younger Christians, um, millennials, Gen Z, maybe looking for more rootedness, more, more tr a sense of tradition. Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe this comes out in, in, in looking for churches that are more liturgical or um, have a more even just aesthetical sense of, of connection and rootedness. And as someone who, who works in higher education and obviously interacts with um, a fair amount of younger Christians, um, 
maybe not in person as much over the last year, but still. Um, do you think that, that that's something that's true, that there is this trend? Um, and and how is that related to retrieval? Or how would you relate that to the, the theological concept of retrieval? Yeah. Um, you know, I... So I've been at Cedarville for two years. Uh, fortunately, really through COVID, we were able to have students on campus. We had masks and quarantines, and basically, if you sneezed, you were uh, you were quarantined <laughs> type thing. Um, but it's been it's definitely been a hard last year when it comes to that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, I've been here for two years, and then before that, I was doing uh, you know Bible translation stuff, doing theological education in the church, and so I've had sort of different ways that I've interacted with this. Um, in terms of in the church, in the academy, in a place like Cedarville, most of our students are not Bible majors. Uh, they're, not, they're not here to go be pastors. So in some ways, you still have kind of a church setting when it comes to, you know, your average student here. I've got nursing majors reading Athanasius, you know, stuff like that, right? So it's a little bit of a different place, but that's, that's strong. That's, yeah, yeah, it's, that's it's, almost uh, better. <laughs> oh, they crush it. It's awesome. Yeah. I, I always joke that we have nursing majors and engineering majors who write better papers on the Trinity than some of my friends in seminary and perhaps even me in seminary. So, um, but there is a, there's a sense of rootedness, I think, but, but it doesn't always seem to be defined. Like they don't really know what they're looking for, but they know it's something. And so, you know, they're reading their Bibles and they're saying, well, you know, I've always been taught to read the Bible this way, but then, but, but what about this? You know, and they're asking these kind of questions. And oftentimes I've found, uh, so I teach like a freshman level hermeneutics class, for example, here every fall. And so I'm interacting with, you know, 80 to 120 of our freshmen every fall. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting that sort of fresh, fresh out of church, uh, fresh out of a Christian home into the university where they're starting to ask those questions. And the common questions tend to be, uh, I want to know how to read my Bible better. And they're always fascinated with church history. And so I think there's a little bit of like, they know there's something else going on there and they can't figure out what it is. And so in all my classes, regardless of what class I'm teaching, um, they're all reading primary sources, at least at some level. Um, so obviously a freshman hermeneutics class, I'm basically giving them uh, summaries of things more or less, not really doing a lot of that, but by the time they get into sort of the upper level theology classes, they're reading Christopher Hall's learning theology with the church fathers, which engages primary sources. And, and we'll go through some of that. And what I found is that they, I think that they're able to start making that connection when they're seeing the rootedness in church history. So it's one of the things that I've found over and over again, like I've, I don't know that I've had a single student in two years here ever complain about reading church fathers or feel like they don't matter. And I think it's because they feel that sense of connection to the past, which they really want. I think everybody kind of does, but maybe that's a, maybe that's a more modern thing because we've been so disconnected for so long, but there is this sense that they, once we start doing that, I think they pick up on, Oh, I want to do this more. Like this is something, this is kind of what I've been missing. Um, I had that as an undergrad, you know, several years ago now where there was something missing. I couldn't figure out what it was. And then I started reading the church fathers and I was like, Oh, there it is that depth of thought, that sort of more comprehensive thought of how the world works and how the Bible fits into that. Um, and so I have them read that and I do it for two reasons. One, I do want to help them connect to the great tradition and be um, you know, better theologians, but also I want them to, to learn the humility that comes with that, because I think they do have a lot of questions and realize they don't have a lot of answers and they want you to show them, well, where do I go find those answers? And of course, you know, we start with scripture and then I always say secondarily to that, uh, Athanasius was actually pretty good at this stuff, right? Like I said, or Gregory was actually really good at this stuff. So like they'll read, you know, Gregory on the Trinity and go, oh, wow, that's better than anybody I've heard talk about the Trinity. And so that kind of, uh, that kind of situates them in a place. And then what I try to do, uh, it's kind of a long-winded answer, but then what I, what I try to do is draw all that back to retrieval, right? So what does that mean for you? 
right? Not just you in terms of, uh, you know, do you love Jesus better? Do you, do you get, you know, warm and fuzzies reading Athanasius like I do? Um, but you know, <laughs> what, what is it actually, what does it actually matter for you? So for example, I'll have them, um, I have them do a project. Uh, I've talked about this in my podcast a few times too. So if there's any overlap, people have heard this a hundred times, but um, I have them do a project where I give them a Christological heresy. And I say, you have to argue against this Christological heresy. And then I'm the heretic debater. So I'm Arius if they're, if they're, mm -hmm. if they get Arianism. And what I try to show them is that uh, when we talk about Arianism, for example, well, when a Jehovah's witness knocks on your door, for example, they are modern day Arians. So what we're doing is we're training you to be rooted in the church tradition to see these questions aren't new. And these answers are really old, right? And so you can read, you can now read them and do this work. And now when, a, when, a, when somebody knocks on your door, you have a good answer. And so I show them that you, you don't just get that by finding the right answers on gotquestions.org, which is fine, right? Uh, for, sometimes fine, depending on the question <laughs> and, and the answer. But, um, but you don't just get it from going and Googling the answer, but it is that deep rootedness in a thought, pro in a way to think, a way to view the world. And I think they're, again, they're all looking for that. I think they're all tired of tweets and political division and all that junk. And they want to be kind of settled in something. And I've just found that over and over again, introducing them to church history has done that really well. So I don't know if I answered your question, but yeah. that was, that yeah, was, was what came to me anyway. So, yeah, yeah. I, it definitely resonates too with my own experience in terms of like finding that rootedness is not, you know, it's not by just finding a list of things that I decide is right or better, but it's, it really is a more, uh, a way, you know, yeah. like, like an ax, like, like it, it is a way of, of being. And, um, I have found finding those pockets of the church, both historically and, and within my own life, uh, is, is really where we find those, those deep rootedness, um, those places of deep rootedness that we can, we can connect with Jesus on a deeper way um, by connecting with his people in, in a deeper way by understanding, um, you know, the ways that he has given us to, to reflect on these things. And I think that that is, um, that, that's, that's, that's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure your story is, you know, going from Baptist to Anglican, I'm sure, you know, the liturgical side of it is a whole other way. Right. And so, um, and I, and I joke sometimes that I, you know, I, I sometimes wake up on a Sunday morning. I want to be Anglican too. So I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> hang in here, but you know, I'm at a Baptist institution, students, primarily Baptist. Um, I always joke with them, raise your hand if you came from a Baptist church. And then I'll say, raise your hand if you came from a non-denominational church. And then I'll say, why didn't you raise your hand when the Baptist did, you know, cause yeah. basically that's <laughs> what they all are. So, yeah. um, but I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking a lot about, when we talk about what is retrieval and renewal. I'm thinking about how do I get them to um, to show them, yes, that liturgical rudeness actually is beautiful. And the hymns and, and reciting the creed and these kind of things are like, are awesome. And this sort of, um, you know, deeper way of viewing the Lord's supper, for example, it, it, there's something there that we should be really paying attention to mm -hmm. while also uh, preparing them for the fact that there's not going to be a lot of places they're going to find that in their circles, but, you know, trying mm -hmm. to encourage them to appreciate those things while also trying to um, not just sort of abandon, not, not go buffet hunting. Right. So mm -hmm. sort of like, this is great, but you don't have to leave. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that you did that, Lucas, but that's the idea. Like, you don't have right. to go somewhere else. Just sit in the frustration a little bit and try to work, you know, try to help be, you know, an agent for change, for lack of a better word. So that's at least my trying to keep the Baptist here, like Jens, uh, who I know, I know that uh, you have more influence over him than I do on a daily basis. But this is my, this is really just my evangelism of, of Jens uh, to Good. stay here. So Yeah, for sure. And well, related to that, I mean, I, it's funny that you mentioned um, non-denominational and, and Baptist being 
basically the same thing. When I was working as a youth pastor, it was First Baptist Church, uh, but we didn't belong to a, a denomination. We consider ourselves non-denominational. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, specifically having been in a context like that uh, vocationally, as well as just attending churches very similar, um, what does it mean for you, uh, for those that you're close to, for even maybe your students uh, to renew this Baptist tradition? Um, because it, it does, I know the, it's a very broad tradition. There's a lot of um, nuance when you're talking about the Baptist tradition, especially as it pertains to America, because it is a predominantly uh, American thing. So like what what does renewal look like in the Baptist tradition? What are ways in which we go about renewing um, stuff like that? Yeah. So, I mean, we started uh, shameless plug for the center for Baptist renewal, but we, you know, Winston, Luke, Matt, and I sort of started this whole thing because we recognized that there were a lot of people that we knew including ourselves that were asking this exact question, but didn't know what to do with it. Right. And so we, that's kind of where we started was, I feel like there's people asking this question, nobody's really answering it, or at least not maybe in a coordinated way. And so we were reading people like Timothy George, who's talking about retrieval for the sake of renewal. You know, he starts Beeson where it's like, he's a Baptist and he's got Anglicans and all these others there. Um, we, we look at him and go, okay, Timothy George has managed to become a legitimate expert, both in the church fathers and the reformation and ecclesiology and all these other, because he's brilliant. Um, and never stop being Baptist, right? Uh, at least for now. Now, who knows? Maybe in five <laughs> years, we, we may finally hear that he's he's finally jumped the ship. But he does um, come to my church a lot. I do have to yeah. say. Well, I yeah. So that's I will pretend like that. You didn't say that. Just, <laughs> just move on. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, we you know we heard some of these Baptists doing this and said, okay, there are people who are had this affinity. What do we do with it? And I think we're still trying to figure that out in some sense. Um, you know, recently, Matt, Luke, and I, and, and a, a handful of others, um, Baptist theologians, did this little symposium in North Carolina. And this was one of our big questions was, what does it look like to do retrieval? What does it look like to do like Baptist dogmatics, for example, right? Because Baptists tend to like reform dogmatics, but there's not really Baptist dogmatics, right? And, and dogmatics is sort of systematic theology applied in a particular church context, right? What does that look like? And so we all kind of left that meeting uh, going, yeah, we we still need to figure out what exactly that means, right? I'd say, generally speaking, what I think we can say, at least when it comes to how do we renew the Baptist tradition with retrieval, is to kind of acknowledge where we have fallen short and where maybe the tradition can help us. So for Baptist, uh, we crush it when it comes to missions and evangelism, right? And, and, and nobody denies that. I mean, I've heard you know, Scott Swain, for example, Presbyterian, former Southern Baptist, another first John 219 Baptist, uh, who says, <laughs> like, we in the other tradition look at the Southern Baptist Convention, for example, and we envy the cooperative program and all this money that goes to missions, right? And we've been great at that. Of course, the problem is that some of that has come out of uh you know, Billy Graham revivals, which are awesome. nothing against Billy Graham, of course, um, and against sort of revivalism and some of the megachurch movement, uh, particularly in the sec second half of the 20th century, where you, you kind of say, we care about missions and evangelism. So now uh, we're going to go super pragmatic, right? Whatever it takes to get people in the door and whatever it takes to get them baptized, like that's what we're going to do. And again, I'm, I, I, I'm not uh, anti-evangelisms or missions at all, you know, right? But sometimes doctrine is sacrificed when you get too far down the road in pragmatism. So one way that we would say that we're trying to renew the Baptist tradition is to say, hey, remember that doctrine really matters, right? That, 
that your doctrine does ultimately inform, inform how you live and how you practice. And where we see a lot of faltering in whether it's the doctrine of the Trinity or ecclesial structures uh, in Baptist churches, where you maybe have a senior pastor and deacons who pretend to be elders or, um, or, or kind of function as elders or a senior pastor who kind of runs the roost and does whatever he wants and has no accountability. Um, those kind of things are not just Baptist problems, but I think, I think it's fair to say are, are centrally. Uh, Baptists probably have the biggest problem with them, say it that way. Mm. And so what we want to do is say, hey, we can still care about missions and evangelism while also looking at the early church and going, okay, how did they talk about the Trinity? Because if we all affirm the Trinity, the three of us here and anybody who's listening, if you affirm the Trinity, whether you like it or not, you got it from the church fathers, right? So you can rail all day about how they're allegory and they don't care about the Bible or whatever. Uh, that's how you got the doctrine of Trinity that you affirm right now is because of the work of the early church, right? Uh, of course, the Bible and then the work of the early church. But um, that the way that you articulate doctrine oftentimes comes from that. So if you've kind of gone away from that, my thought is, well, let's go back to the well and go, okay, what do we leave behind? What are we missing? Uh, and then bring that back into the present. Again, that's what retrieval does is you bring it back in and say, okay, how does this apply in my context? And again, for Baptists, that's harder in some ways because, uh, you know, one of the examples we talked about in North Carolina was uh, Cyril of Alexandria. Hmm. Uh, we all love Cyril's Christology, right? You basically have Chalcedon because of him. You have the Council of Ephesus in 431. Then you have Chalcedon. Cyril's basically the guy, right? We all love hypostatic union, you know, uh, two natures, one person, all that good stuff. But then as soon as you read Cyril, start talking about the Eucharist, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want that. I don't want the transubstantiation <laughs> stuff. I don't want the real present. No, no, no. For a Baptist, right? Now, Lucas, I'm sure you're happy with that. Um, but, you know, for a Baptist, that's a little bit of a harder conversation. Um, so for a Baptist, I think one of the things that, that came out of there, um, Steve McKinnon was one of the guys there. And, and he said, you know, one of the things we have to do is not just cherry pick the doctrines that we like, but actually look at it and go, well, let's see how much of the methodology is helpful. Mm. So for Cyril, for example, yes, Cyril ties Christology and the Eucharist almost, I mean, they're inextricable from each other. You can't like he, he, he sees real presence because of his Christology, but as a Baptist, I don't have to just like the hypostatic union. I can actually care about the connection between Christology and the Lord's Supper, for example, without having to have transubstantiation, right? So you can, so a lot of it for me is not just cherry picking doctrines and going, oh, Gregory's Trinity is better than, uh, you know, an eternal subordination view. So I just want to take Gregory. Well, yeah, but people who affirm a view that you don't like about the Trinity also claim Gregory sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. So how do we look at the methodology and say, how can we learn about how they reason with scripture, how they think about scripture, how they make, uh, how they apply scripture to certain things and then go, okay, as a Baptist, what can I take from that? And then of course, what are the things I might leave behind, right? As an Anglican, Lucas, you're going to leave things behind as well. Right. So course, I feel like right. Baptists, we Baptists, especially modern Baptists, we may have the furthest uh, road to go, but yeah, all that to say, I think for Baptists, it, it's looking at and going, okay, where are our pitfalls? Where are our weaknesses? What, what have we left behind and how can we go back and get that? Not just, again, cherry picking a doctrine, but actually looking at the methodology and going, oh, okay, there's, there's more here. There's, there's more connections, hermeneutical decisions, whatever that can help us make better decisions. That's, that'd be at least a, a long-winded short answer. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think this, this kind of, that answer kind of anticipates this last question. Um, it, how do you know, like, like, I'm sure some people might be who are just thinking about this or like, yeah, I get what you're saying. This is great. Um, this all sounds good to me. I want to, I want to do this. I want to see this, but how do I know what's worth retrieving? Mm -hmm. How do I know 
what's worth leaving behind and what's not and what's worth bringing bringing back with me as I'm going down this 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 journey. And, and it sounds like you know a lot of that's going to be tied to like you've already mentioned your own ecclesial and theological context, uh, and and tied into looking at instead of cherry picking, looking at more holistically what these figures and these these texts are doing. Um, but is there anything else you'd want to add to that that you know guidance around how how what's a good maybe you know compass for helping us to decipher what's what's worth bringing and what's worth leaving yeah i mean it's it's a it's a double edged sword to me because i think um for every you know me or jens who stay in the baptist tradition after doing this there's there's a lucas too right and so i want to be careful not to um do this in such a way that i'm saying here's how you stay Baptist, for example, because I'm a Baptist, right? That's, that's maybe one angle I could take. Um, but you know, when, when you're, when you're doing retrieval, you do have to consider, I think a few things you've got to consider, uh, what tradition you're in. And generally speaking, are you comfortable with that tradition? Are you basically committed to being a Baptist or a Presbyterian or whatever? Um, if you're doing that, then you're going at it from the perspective of, I can be a Baptist and still disagree at times, right? And again, everybody's going to disagree at some level, but uh, you can go to it and read and go, okay, I might disagree about this thing or that thing that Cyril says, or, or Athanasius says, or Irenaeus says, or Origen, of course, uh, everybody finds something with Origen to disagree with. Um, but you can, you can go back and read it and go, I'm not doing this to try to reinforce my belief or change my belief but rather to be challenged and encouraged in my belief, right? So that, that's one way to do it is to say, I'm not going uh, just to find out what is or isn't worth retrieving, but just going for the sake of understanding and learning and growing, right? So that's one way to do it. Um, but if you're trying to really actively retrieve and say, okay, how do I apply this? I think that's where you have to think through kind of, kind of what I said, right? If you're a Baptist, you've got to be able to think through, um, okay, I'm going to come to some different conclusions here and that's okay, right? But uh, is this something that I, as a Baptist, can do without not without losing my Baptist dis Baptistity? Is that a word? Baptistity? Baptistness? <laughs> That's a good word. <laughs> um, we'll the go Catholicity Baptistity. I need to, we need to move that into CBR. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think so. I think part of it is your motivation for why you're retrieving. Uh, mm. Are you just doing historical work? Are you trying to apply it to your to your uh, own sort of context? Or are you really discontent with where you are and you're trying to figure out where you actually belong? Right? That's, a, I think, in some ways, a different question. Um, so I, so I, that's kind of a non-answer, I guess. But I think that's where, that's where I, uh, when I tell students about retrieval, I tell them primarily what you want to do is say, how can the voices of the past uh, encourage, edify, and challenge what I already believe? That, that's kind of the main way to do it. And then if you want to take the step forward and go, okay, how can I retrieve the, you know, the fourth century pro-Nicene theology for my church as a pastor, well, that comes down to kind of your tradition and then what are your commitments, right? And so mm. a lot of people are, are, you know, in Baptist circles, for example, I mean, when we started Center for Baptist Renewal, the question was, why don't you just be Anglicans, right? We got that, that, that joke and also a few legitimate uh, uh, critiques, like just, you're just pretending to be Anglicans, just go be Anglicans and, and leave the Baptists alone. Uh, but what we said was actually, no, actually our, our intention for doing retrieval is to say, I want to be a Baptist and I want to strengthen where I'm weak as a Baptist or where we are weak as Baptists. Uh, so we're not looking to change our minds. We're actually looking to um, edify what we already believe, encourage what we already believe. And then you can think about uh, ways that as a Baptist, how do I contribute to the tradition? Um, so one of the things that, that I've thought about that I think is really uh, beautiful about the Baptist tradition, for example, is when we do uh, baptism, uh, 
unlike you weirdos that sprinkle babies and then pretend <laughs> like it means something, you know, for mm -hmm. the rest of us, you know, uh, by the way, Lucas, whenever your kids grow up and actually uh, get baptized, send them to my church and I'll dunk them. Cause that's usually what happens. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's not Catholicity at all. That's just trolling. Um, but, uh, that's where like, as a Baptist, when we dunk somebody, when we, when we bury them, raise them again, you know, Romans six kind of language, that's actually a particular way that Baptists can contribute to the tradition to say, here is one beautiful picture of baptism, this death and resurrection, right? But that doesn't have to be the only way. We don't have to say, now all you Anglicans are all wrong because we here's how we do it. But rather, you can retrieve a good Christology about what is baptism, how is it connected to the death and burial of resurrection uh, of Christ. And you might apply it differently than me as an Anglican or like a Presbyterian or whatever. Uh, but some of the retrieval is how do you contribute? kind of to the broader conversation, not just, yeah. I like all the old, I think Fred Sanders said on my podcast one time, we don't do retrieval just because we like antiques, right? Mm, right? We do it because we actually want to be edified. So you want to be edified. And then I can I think it comes down to, you know, the different types of ways you might apply it. You know, if you're trying to apply it to your church or whether you're just trying to learn, and those are kind of different conversations, I think, but don't be afraid to disagree. Uh, don't be afraid to critique your heroes and uh, be one to critique yourself. And if you're doing that while you're reading church history, then I think that gets you a long way. Mm. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. Well, so Brandon, usually when we, when we conduct interviews, we, we always like to ask the person being interviewed a question. And that question is, what are you reading? And, and before you answer that for yourself, uh, I thought a good tag along question would be, um, as we're talking about retrieval, as we're talking about renewal, uh, a bunch of names have come up here, you know, Athanasius and Origen and, you know, all these church fathers. Um, if you were going to recommend a book to somebody, let's say they've never heard of this idea, they don't even know where to start. They're like, wow, that sounds really cool. Like, who should I read? Um, so the, the two-part question is, what are you reading right now? And if you're going to recommend a book uh, that had a, you know, a historical work of the church, what would it be? Yeah, so I am, what I'm reading right now is I'm reading uh, Faith, Hope, Love by Joseph Piper, uh, who's a, um, who's a uh, philosopher who just does some really cool work. Got introduced to him by a few of uh, uh, philosopher friends. Uh, so I'm reading that, and then I'm reading the uh, Cambridge History of Early Christian Literature, uh, partially for myself and partially because I'm teaching an, an historical theology class this fall. And so I'm always prepping as a professor. You're always, you're always prepping. You're not really reading for yourself at the time. So mm. fortunately I get to teach the things I, I like to read anyway. So that's two things I'm reading right now. Um, in terms of what I would recommend Athanasius on the incarnation to me seems to be, and I know I've brought him up a lot today, just seems to be the most kind of low hanging fruit. Uh, the St. Vladimir's press, uh, version. Their translation is a really good translation. There's a really good introduction in there that kind of orients you around who he is and what his thought is and even gives you a little bit of an outline of the book. And so I found with students, I mean, 18 to 21 year olds who have never interacted with the church fathers, I, I you know, I'll, I'll have class periods where I walk them through stuff. But generally speaking, I think if they take some time to really read it, that's a good introduction. Um, I usually tell them that you know, you may have never heard of Athanasius, but if you believe in the incarnation, you have read Athanasius because every, uh, basically every uh, book on the incarnation is really just a footnote to Athanasius uh, on the incarnation. So, um, yeah, I had a student one time, he was, he uh, gave me feedback. I had them all write a reflection paper on, on the book and he sent me an email and he's like, I'm just really struggling with this reflection paper because uh, I just don't feel like I'm learning anything new here. And after I, um, 
you know, after I uh, calmed down, so I didn't, uh, didn't <laughs> insult him, uh, I said, well, two things. One, part of the reason why you're not learning anything new is because you probably have heard this all before, because uh, again, everything is a footnote to this argument. Like what he's doing here is actually just good boilerplate incarnation theology. And if you've been in a good church that preaches the Bible, you've probably heard it. Secondly, if you don't think you learned anything, it's because you didn't understand anything. Okay. So maybe, <laughs> maybe you go back and read it again. Um, and, uh, but there is something to that. I think people uh, go one of two ways. M most of the time they're afraid to read, uh, church fathers because they're afraid they won't understand it. And I think that's, that can be true, but isn't necessarily true. Particularly, like I said, the, the St. Vladimir press, uh, series, uh, all of their translations are really clear. They're, uh, mostly pretty modern in the language that they use, and they all have really good introductions and notes that help you. So if you've never read it before, you've got like a, a companion that comes with it. So I usually recommend that, but I think Athanasius, it's, it's 110 pages, something like that. Very straightforward, good introduction, good translation, uh, and very easy for you, I think, for most people to understand if you want to take the time to chew on it a little bit, right? Because it's not using the theological vernacular you might always be used to, mm -hmm. but it's really good, um, really good introduction, I think. And, and even in the tradition, even the fourth century, there's already people who are footnoting Athanasius. So if you read him, you you're really are starting in a really good spot. So very cool. And so was it Athanasius that you said had a, an interesting, I've never heard you pronounce the name earlier. How, how did you say his name again? Athanasius. Athanasius. That's the way all the British people, British patristic scholars do it. So <laughs> I have, I've, I, where I'm at right now is I have, I say Irenaeus, which is apparently the correct like scholarly way to say it, not Irenaeus. So okay. I've, I've made my mm. switch there. Uh, Augustine, not Augustine. So I always tell my students, if you Agreed. say Augustine, I will fail you yep. uh, like immediate failure. Um, and so now I'm being told that Athan Athanasius is the new way to say Athanasius that is equal to Augustine and Irenaeus, but I just haven't, I mean, you, you can take the boy out of Texas, but you can't take a text out of the boy eventually, you know, so I, I don't know how fancy I can get before I just start feeling like a poser. So no, that was good. <laughs> Athanasius. I think John yeah. Bear says it that way for sure. You can hear him say it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, it's like, uh, I feel like we had a, a chapel once Lucas at Moody where we had I don't even remember who it was, but somebody that was from Britain um, said uh, Isaiah. That was new to oh, me Isaiah, as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's See, that's the one. But like, you can, like, you will obviously sound like a poser if you say Isaiah. Like, you <laughs> yeah. cannot get no away with it as an American. You know. <laughs> no. Uh, so. uh, cool. Well, yeah. Lucas, any other uh, any questions we have for Brandon, or we want to call it good here? No, I think I think we've hit some really really good points, and I hope those listening, uh, if you're not familiar with uh brandon whether that's through uh writing or or podcasting i i hope this was a a really good sort of um much more well put take on these kinds of themes that we return to a lot on our on our podcast but um aren't necessarily always as good at explaining uh so um huge thank you brandon for joining us and um really look forward to uh, getting to share this conversation. I feel like it was a really edifying and, and, and helpful one. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think I'm, I'm very well pleased with, with yeah, the ground same. we covered. It's great. Well, thank you again, Brandon. We, we really appreciated having you and, and thank you for, for listening to this episode of the Doxology podcast. Uh, if you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Doxology podcast, and you're always welcome to send us an email. Uh, that is doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We always welcome feedback, questions, episode ideas, whatever you want to give us. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, peace. <laughs>